Welcome to another edition of the CDG BizCast. I'm your host, Christian Gonzalez, co-owner of Creativity Design Group, a digital marketing firm in Houston, Texas. My guests today include Chef Jay and Face Down Tragedy from the After the Shuffle show, and my UK correspondents, Lauren Hicks and Wayne Fieldhouse. Today we are going to be talking about what it takes to have a customer-centric website. In the first half of this episode, we are going to cover several different steps that you can take to make sure that your website focuses on satisfying your customers' experiences and ensuring that all their problems are solved and you address all their pain points. To begin the show, I would like to ask all of you, what do you look for when you pull up a website for the first time when you're trying to find a company that you plan on doing business with or are just simply researching? Maybe you're trying to find a plumber, or you're trying to find a mechanic, or maybe you're trying to find a restaurant to go eat at. What are some things that you look for first? One thing I'd look for is what I've um, realized when this is one thing to definitely look out for if, if you're Googling or whatever. Sometimes I've had text scams where it's Royal Mail or whatever. And when you go on the website, not all of the buttons work on it. So if you're looking for a website for a business or whatever, you have to make sure it has like decent reviews and all of the buttons on the page work properly because if only one or two buttons out of the 20 work, you know it's probably a scammer. Right, right. But in general though, whether a business is a scam or legit, what do you look for in terms of wanting to do business with? And yes, functionality is, is key. Yeah, the functionality of the website. You have to make sure everything works on the website okay. If, and see if they've got decent reviews as well. Yeah, that's true. I would pay attention to if the website actually has the information that you're actually trying to be looking for. Yeah. Right. It should be up front. And the layout of it and all that other stuff matters as well, like right. Lauren was saying. Well, looking at it from, uh, a, a, from a consumer that, say, doesn't have much internet experience to look for, like, you know, certain things on a website, I think... Uh, most of us are looking for the best price. So I think in terms of shopping, I'm just going to be looking first at price. Right. Above yeah, anything else. A little, little more towards the ease of use, kind of. Yes. And then yeah, from some uh, Yeah, Right. From the business aspect of it, I would probably, if it's like I've experienced in live here lately, an in-home type service, look for what's closer to me, and then probably go on and read reviews to see right. if I want to hire them. See, for me, personally, having no fingers in the business pies, it just be straight up ease of use. Mm-hmm. Or it's got to be straightforward. No fancy talk, no big words that I'm never going to understand. It's got to be straight up to the point mm-hmm. and right there where you can see. All these are great responses, and they're all correct. Let me ask you this, though. When it comes to looking at these websites, what makes you decide... I want to do business with them. My next question is, when you're browsing different websites looking for a company to do business with, what is the biggest deciding factor for you guys? I would I would want to look for like a portfolio or something with work they've done in the past and, and like good reviews and good comments from other people. Mm-hmm. But also I would want to look for bad comments and bad reviews too because sometimes they only post the good stuff. Right. Like they're... Um, better quality on some sites as well like you could click on one and they look okay but then you could click on another and the products look completely better 
and comparing the reviews as well. I think for myself personally, knowing some things to look for, I think the first two things that I would, that's going to grab my attention is the web address and, and how the site physically looks. Is it, you know, cheaply made or is it, you know, look a little bit professional and, and, and actually com compare the two. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like that said, closer to home is where you've got to look what's closer to you mm -hmm. than further away because it can save so much hassle. Right. Well, for me personally, it'd be price, delivery price, and, you know, basically general layout. Well, that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. One thing as well is couriers. I always look at what couriers they use because some couriers, yeah. like Hermes, are absolutely the worst courier in the world. So you have to look at what kind of courier service they use mm -hmm. and what you can trust. That's a big one for me. Right, right. And some websites don't even show that till after you go through the checkout process. And that puts me off about some websites as if they don't show what um, courier service they do use. Though mm -hmm. sometimes I'm feeling lucky, I still go and process something on the website, even if it doesn't. But I prefer to know, and I Google, even if it's not on the site, I go through Google in hopes someone said what courier service they use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to look at Google reviews myself too. In some cases, or in many cases I should say, the Google review page is most likely the first thing people are going to look at before they even click into your website because that shows up first before the website comes up. And me personally, when I'm looking at reviews, I always look for the bad reviews first and then I look at the good reviews. I want to know. I could care less about the good experiences. I want to know why have other people had bad experiences here while other people say they've had a good experiences. And if the bad reviews outnumber the good reviews, then that's when you know you need to stay away. Yeah, yeah it's like with Amazon. I on the reviews, I look at the look to see if there's any pictures on the reviews first, mm -hmm. and then I look for the bad reviews and then the good ones. <laughs> Some people that may be watching this, listening to this, may not know that you can go on Trustpilot.com as well and check out reviews for companies. Pilot is good. You can put reviews on there. All the I put loads of reviews on mine. I, I do think, however, it's always good to, to, for reviews on a company to go to like a uh, third-party website like Google or something like that because if you read the reviews that are actually on the website itself, I mean, it's just like uh, we do with uh, YouTube and so forth. We They have the control of what they want to post and what they want, don't want to post. So mm -hmm. it can be capable of being a little deceptive. Not saying that's everybody, but they do have the, the what they want to put on their site available to them. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, of course, because they own the website. Exactly. So if they choose not to post a bad review to a certain extent, then they don't have to post it. One thing that I look for as well is how many bad reviews it has. So if it has like one or two, that's fine. But one time, I think I mentioned this before, on Amazon, there was this oat milk, this new brand of it. I can't remember what brand it was. But every review on it, there was only a few reviews, but all of them were one star. And I thought, oh, I'll take the risk because it was on offer and buy it. And it's actually really nice oat milk. There was nothing wrong with it. But I do look for how many bad reviews it's got. If it's got, like, more than three or four bad reviews out of a thousand or whatever, and then I'm going to be a bit more wary about it. See, I'll go through another um, direction because you know me, I'll only ever get 
and, and it's not Amazon or eBay, but it's some, mm. somewhere that I've ordered from that's popped up on eBay, say, um, some of them army surplus stores that I order things from, or I don't go to them and order from them directly afterwards once I've had a few deliveries from them. So it's, it's yeah. almost like a, tr- a tried and tested thing. Yeah, you try and test it few deliveries and then if they go okay it gives you the confidence to order again yeah i do that showcasing reviews is a very important thing on websites Anywhere where you promote your products, that's where reviews should be seen at. You want to have your reviews up front for other people to read. And even the one-star reviews, they can be damaging to your brand's image. However, a lot of websites always put the five-star reviews up front, and that's natural. In some cases, the one-star reviews will still be shown, especially if it's on the product page itself. People can filter out between the five-star and the one-star. That's the more honorable approach at showcasing reviews by letting people filter them out rather than just hiding all the bad ones and only showing the good ones. And I want to move into our first topic, and that is on the first steps towards determining who your customer is. How do you determine who your customer is? You need to know who your customer is. And how do you do that? You create what's called a buyer persona. And what this is, is a it's a fictional character. You give a name and you give all sorts of different attributes to this person. And you define them as a person who will most likely buy your products. And several different attributes apply to this, such as how old are they? What are the attributes of their lifestyle? Such as if they're single, are they married? What is their career like? And what are their pain points? Those are some key pieces of information that you would collect when creating a buyer persona. Yeah, you've got to see who comes to you on a regular basis. Right. Like who's a regular customer. Mm-hmm. That's um, I feel that's a big one. It's like with one company on eBay, for example, I've bought like over 40 items of clothing from this one company on several occasions. So right. they know I'm one of their best customers. Mm-hmm. But like, yes, you've got to look at how regular they are at coming When you start a business, you have to write out a marketing plan. And part of your marketing plan is writing out your buyer persona. After you've decided who your customer is, then you can start writing your marketing pieces tailored towards what they want. Yeah, that's true. I would I would want to figure out the age ranges that you're Mm -hmm. trying to market towards first. Right. Yes. I was gonna say as a from the business perspective, back in the early two thousands I actually uh, own a storefront, uh, has a video and movie buy, sell, and trade type store. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess some of the attributes that I look for in terms of what I want to see in the customer, uh, has, as Chef just said, age range is important. And in that uh, field that I was choosing at the time, the video games and the movies, I would look for anywhere from, say, as young as 12, 13, up to 50 and that's a broad range but it is a broad range and that's just uh the type that the kids are going to bring in their parents to buy the video games the parents buy the video games as a buy sell and trade business one of the things i guess uh, i w- would attribute and, and look forward to it would be uh that requires you providing proof that you're over 18 so mm-hmm. maybe you look have a driver's license or some form that that's i can nice. deal with you and that's type of business and uh let's see um and of course um in terms of uh, any other additional attributes it would basically just be i would put uh and it may not even be an attribute but just knowing how to socialize with the customer and if you know let them come asking you questions to talk to you and then you know which way to uh direct them towards you know making your sale and also finally in terms of sale i looked for uh 
what my out expenses were, what I had to pay out to remain a business, and what I needed to have to pay those bills and also maintain a profit and so forth. So I would set, uh, I would use Quicken and uh, set monthly goals for myself. Very good. I'm glad to hear that you had some business. So that's all some very, very useful information. I hope that other business owners who are listening will take that advice to heart. It does make a difference when you plan accordingly and when you budget. And it also makes a huge difference when you know how to handle your customers' needs like that. And a website should be able to do the same thing. One thing that customers should be able to do within your website, they need to be able to leave some honest feedback. The feedback will only help you and other business owners improve upon yourselves. So that way you can see profits increase. You, you can see more customers returning. And you also see customers telling their friends to come to you to buy some. That's all important. There are different methods that you can do to try to get some feedback from your audience. On your website, you can have questionnaires, you can have surveys, you can ask specific questions in these questionnaires and surveys, and that way you'll know exactly what you can do to improve upon. That way you know exactly what you can do to improve to make things better for future customers. After you're done asking questions to your audience, you'll want to make sure that you thank them for that. You can give them a discount code or a coupon, maybe even a freebie. Just a little thank you, a little token of appreciation for sharing their feedback. And a lot of businesses do not do this. The websites should especially have questionnaires for people who have different needs. For example, I ask questions to all my clients what their needs are when they need to get their websites done. And I take all their answers very seriously. I take their feedback, or I take the answers to their questions, and I use that to design the website. That's how I know how to build the site, how to make sure their message is conveyed clearly, and that their expectations are being exceeded. But social proof in general over how happy your customers are, that's always good to showcase on your website. You want to make sure that your reviews are at the forefront of your landing page or your homepage. That's true. And I want to say even sometimes when they, people do post the bad reviews, you want to see like a uh, customer service and stuff where they try to reach out to these people to make it righteous. Right. Yeah. People Not just by paying them off either. Not by paying them off either or something, just by, you know, helping out the problem or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's what I look for as well on some reviews, especially on Trustpilot. When you see the company constantly replying to people, it shows that they're trying to make an effort. That's important to show that you're trying to make an effort to rectify the problem. On Google reviews, there is a place where you can reply to each review, and that's usually how bad and good reviews get responded to. You don't want to just reply to bad reviews. You want to make sure that you reply to your good ones too, but it is especially important to reply to the bad review so the public can see that you are trying to make an effort to make sure the customer who was not happy eventually does get happy in an honest and a legitimate way, not by being paid off or being bribed into it. And you can use those same response tools, as you mentioned earlier, even for the negative comments, you know, offer them a freebie, offer them a discount for the next purchase or something like that. Show you you're legit and are trying to make an effort to please them. Right. One of the most important things that all websites need to do they need to forget about putting an emphasis on product features and they need to focus on showing how their company and their products and services can change your life. How can they solve that problem your customer has? What are their pain points and how can your product or service destroy those pain points 
and make life better. Talking about product features in general is considered to be an old-fashioned thing. The most important question that companies can answer is, how can the product change your life? This is where you link your persona that you defined earlier and link it to the product itself. You show how it solves their problem. I feel that companies that do not do this, who just simply focus on product features or worse, they get all egotistical and they start talking about how great they are and how their company is better than all the others because they make this much money or have this many employees. That does not help customers get their problems solved. They want to make sure that if they give you their money, their problems are being solved and that your product is truly making a difference in their life, in their workflow. They want to make sure that, that your product is changing their life to the point to where, where they're recommending it to friends, to family, to co-workers, and you see an increase in business from referrals. Good old-fashioned word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes that's the best. Yeah. Word of mouth is considered to be the highest compliment a customer can give to the company that they did business with. It shows that your company did such a great job, exceeded all their expectations, and are now telling their friends and their family, hey, hey, go over here. He did, he did a great job doing this. He did a great job doing that. Don't go anywhere else. They're the best. You know, and leave a five-star review while doing that, too, so other people could see it. It shows what your product can do, but can you show how your product's features can make a difference in your customer's life? That's the big question right there that every business owner needs to be able to answer. If you can't answer that question, you need to go back and retweak your marketing strategy. Yep. Definitely. Or hire someone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or sack a couple of others. <laughs> Businesses need to be able to accommodate as needed and sometimes firing employees who just aren't making the mark, sadly, an option. Next thing that I wanted to talk about is on many websites, there is a section at the very top that usually consists of a header and it usually has a headline, a nice background image, and a subcaption. And this area this area here is what I call the above the fold area. It's like a billboard. This is the most important part of your homepage because this is the very first thing people see when they pull up your website. Now, you guys, I want to ask you this. When you pull up a company's website, what's the first thing you notice on their homepage in general? It doesn't have to be in the above the fold area, which is the very top, which I just mentioned, the header area. But what pops out to you the most? Is it call to action buttons telling you to contact us or buy now? Is it how they presented the information or how they displayed the text? What is the first thing that catches your eye when you pull up a website and look at their homepage? I would want to say that if the address bar actually matches what they're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. So like if they're selling aquariums or something, then it would say, you know, aquariums, blah, 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 company or something like that have to be into the address bar yeah and having a phone number some companies don't have customer service numbers mm -hmm. or have them ice and this really irritates me because i like to be able to speak to a human right. if something goes wrong so that's important that's very true yeah like a, like a chat window or something like a chat box exactly. yeah, that would be helpful too. you can also on them most um, companies now they have the option where you can message via whatsapp which is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some some sort of direct messaging or live messaging, that, that's really good. I want to extend on what Chef said about um, web addresses. Uh, and 
I've experienced it a lot. Facebook, they market towards your needs based on everything that you do on Facebook. But there are situations where I've clicked like a, a guitar ad or something on there before, and it'll say the name of the business is one thing and the address listed is one thing, and then you click it. It's an absolute different address, may not even be the same business name. Yeah, I've experienced like that before. That scammer I was dealing with the other day, um, I sent the information to you, Anthony, didn't I, and other people that guy mm -hmm. pretended to be, or that person pretended to be Tyler Henry, the clairvoyant. Um, I tried to bait them a bit, and he gave me a link to where you send the money, and it ended up being a Bitcoin site, so it was completely different. It said absolutely nothing about a medium or anything, you know? So that's what you got to look out for. Does it actually say what it's about? Mm -hmm. That's where legitimate companies will use their company's name, but their company's name doesn't have any mention of their product in it. Oh yeah, true. For example, think about think about McDonald's. For example, their website is McDonald's.com, not Hamburgers.com. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, oh, all websites can do that, can they? They can't like what they sell in their header, in their website name, so how you incorporate that. It was a tactic that was utilized back in the early 2000s and back in the 90s when the internet was just becoming a thing where, for example, let's say you're a plumber in Houston, Texas, your website would be plumberinhouston.com. That's considered to be an old-fashioned tactic. It does not help your company get found anymore. The modern way of doing this is using a branded domain, which is having your company's name.com, just like that. And if you do continue to go with the outdated method by buying out these domains and having them point back to your main one, that also doesn't really help you either because this is considered to be domain farming. Google doesn't really like to look at that. They like to see branded, unique domains. Going back to the above-the-fold rule, all that is good information. You do want to see your contact information at the top. The phone number and the address should be at the very top in the header where people can see it or in the footer at the very least. Have it on every page somewhere universally so that whenever people are clicking around through your website they still have that information at the forefront. What y'all said about utilizing a chat. Chat bots are very important on my company's website. We use a Facebook Messenger based chat bot. And that works really well for us capturing leads. That way, people can instantly ask us questions the moment they pull up the site before they decide they want to go somewhere else. They can at least leave their question immediately. In addition to that, we do have a call now button that shows up opposite of the Facebook Messenger button where they can tap on and it loads our phone number into the dialer and all they have to do is tap on it and call, give us a call right then and there. But One thing I find important as well is to have multiple different ways to be able to contact the company like basically on their home page or whatever on their website to have multiple different ways to contact because not everyone has facebook messenger not everyone uses whatsapp not everyone uses text message or whatever you know some people like to be able to contact over the phone mm -hmm. or over email so it's i think it's important to have multiple different ways someone can contact you because that shows yes. that you're genuine. Yes, yes. If you're a brick and mortar store, you know, have your address on there too, or somewhere near the header or right up and under it with, like you said, with the phone number. Yeah. On the CDG website, the moment they pull it up, we have an animated graphic showing 
exactly what services we do, and to the right of that are all our social media options. And then on mobile, they get the call now and they get the Facebook Messenger button too. So Yeah, they're important, the buttons. All the buttons are right then and there. They're up front before they scroll any further. And there's no digging around trying to find our address or our phone number or our email address. And we utilize multiple contact forms too. Aside from contact information, it's also important to use that above the fold area to once again relay your product or service benefits. Talk about why your product or service is the answer to their problems. Just show it right then and there. Don't make people scroll to find it. Just showcase it in that area, in that header area. Again, this header area would be directly below the navigation but at the very top of the home page, the first thing they see before they start scrolling down, it is like a billboard. You'll want to be brief, but you'll want to also be thorough at the same time while describing your product services or benefits. And you could use at least maybe three or four boxes in that area to showcase each individual one. And if you're doing this for a landing page, you're going to want to make sure that you have landing pages for each one of your products and services that relay the same information but as it relates to that product so you know let's say let's say for example on cdg we have one for website design and one for print design and then we would just tailor the content according to those services we would write the benefits of why you should go to cdg for website design and why you should go to us for graphic design and because those are individual services the information you put on those pages in regard to their benefits is going to be different but if you're selling one product, you're going to want to use the home page to emphasize on those key benefits and put them above the fold. Because once a customer pulls up your website, that's what they're going to see first. And if they don't like what they see, they're going to hit the back button and you will never hear from them again. They will never come back to your website. The rule is about three seconds or less. That's how long they're going to stay there. So you have three seconds to make a good impression of that area above the fold. You want to make sure that you really grab their heartstrings. You really want to make sure that your product's benefits truly are what they're looking for in that section. You want to make sure that they don't miss it. It has to be up front, right there, in their face. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I wanted to say as well about buttons on the page is so important when it, there's a button underneath the number because some people can't, like what's it called, copy and paste it. You have to bloody write, find pen and paper to write it down or whatever. And then that's annoying as well. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it is easier to have a button on the call so you can instantly call them. There should be a call to action. One clear call to action to contact or to book an appointment or schedule a consultation or to request a product demo. Whatever you want your customer to do when they see your website. That's called having a lead magnet. And lead magnets are basically that first interaction that you set up to capture customer information. It could be any one of those things that I mentioned. It is important to have a call to action and it should be above the fold in that area where people won't miss it. And it should be in a nice, vibrant color that matches your color scheme and is still readable. You want to have a button that stands out among the rest of that section. Basically, the formula is you read the headline, then you read the statement you give under it, then you read the key points, and then it should be enticing enough for them to want to click on that button. I said, yeah, definitely. Um, sometimes, like... I get really stressed easily when something goes wrong mm -hmm. and when I need 
contact customer service. I need to contact them there and then. So it's important having a button because you don't want you don't have the patience to want to write down the number. Mm -hmm. Same here. Speaking of uh, buttons on a website, and this may be actually just reiterating the technical version of what you just said, Christian. But I personally kind of like it. Like when I arrow the button, it'll give me a little box, brief brought round of a maybe a little description or type of items to say if I'm looking for a certain item. I'll highlight that and it'll give me a little pop up below it or somewhere near it explaining what the buttons actually contain. Some sites do that. It's not, a, but I, I like to see that if, it's, if they have it. Mm -hmm. we, we do that on our website too on certain sections, such as the, the About Us page and the Services page. I like that feature too because interactivity is key to keeping your customers interested. You don't want them to just be reading endless long paragraphs of text. If you can give them the opportunity to click so they can read more, that's engagement. It shows that they're willing to interact with your website. You don't want to just give them something that'll bore them. You're right about that. And that applies especially for the above the fold area. That applies especially for the above the fold area because that's the first thing they're going to see and that's where you want to generate some interaction, some engagement before they decide to leave your site and never come back. If you remember what I said about first impressions in our last show, first impressions count. And that especially counts with websites just as much as it does with meeting someone in person. It counts with websites. It counts with, with business cards. It counts with social media. You've got to be able to give off a really good first impression before they decide they don't want to do business with you. It could make or break you. You need to try and show the personality on your website. Yes, yes, that's true. And like we said a few episodes ago about those free website builders, the personality that it gives businesses who use those is that they don't have the budget to look professional and they don't care about being professional. People aren't going to think about the budget part. They're just going to think that, oh, they decide to go the cheat route. If they're going to go the cheat route designing the website, they're probably going to go the cheat route making my pizza or making the product they sell. If you sell auto parts, you certainly don't want to look like you offer cheap quality auto parts. Oh, yeah, for sure. Correct. That's just yeah. bad news written all over it. <laughs> when addressing your customer's pain points, you want to make sure that while you're still above the fold in that area, you want to make sure that you clearly state your customer's pain point and you talk about how your product can cure that customer's pain point. And you want to do it in a straightforward manner where it basically grabs their heartstrings. It's got to be very enticing. Moving forward, as you go further down into the homepage, you're going to want to make sure that you establish touch points. And this goes back to what you said, Anthony, about how you like having a button that shows a pop-up and displays right. more information. Touch points are key to customer engagement, too. And we've talked about a bunch of them already. We've talked about call now buttons and social media. We've talked about chatbots and having contact forms up front. What are some other examples of touch points that you can give aside from those? Just think about it on the top of your head. It has to do with customer interaction and how their interaction can eventually become a lead that you can follow up with that could possibly convert to a sale. Some sort of a customization option. A few years ago, I was looking at a car for a friend and went on to the Ford website because he really wanted to look at the price of a Mustang with everything mm -hmm. on it. And so we went through and he had all the little options and that to make it look how he wanted it to look and you know, all the engine grades and stuff. And then it came to the end, the price of how much it would be, and he was like, mm -hmm. wow, I've never seen that before. But it was one of ours where you're picking everything you want off a list. 
you know, cherry picking the best of what you want, basically, and then putting it in and then getting the pros for the package that you want. Mm-hmm. So, customizability, my way. Anyway. Yes, yeah, yes. That's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good point. I think what I personally look for, and this may not I think be they're also do with the guitars. <laughs> I think what I personally would look for is, uh, in addition to what Wayne just said, is uh, I like to see out in front, you know, payment options. Why, why, what ways do you accept payment? You know, is it something I heard of? Is it secure and so forth like that? So payment options is something I definitely look for if uh, it's a product sales type website and I found something that I want to, want to purchase. Right. And also shipping options. Right. That's what I'm about. Yeah. I think something I would, that I would consider maybe a touch point, and not all websites will have it, is like, say they put something up like, you know, best sales in, in 2022 or some kind of award that they won through some third party, you know, awards place and have those posted. That's a. Uh, more intriguing for me to want to stay on the website and make a purchase there. Touch points are basically lead magnets, as I described earlier. Any type of interactivity that could build up a list of possible leads that could eventually become sales. For example, when you have your call now button, that's somebody calling to inquire about your product or service. Or if you have a chat bot, again, the same principle applies. They're contacting you to inquire about services. They might have a question and you want to be able to answer that. And if you can set up your chatbot to be automated to answer those questions, perfect. Contact forms are another touch point. They fill it out, and then you get an email, and then you contact the customer. Maybe you have a form where you ask them to subscribe to the newsletter. That's also a touch point. All these touch points are all lead magnets that can eventually convert your visitors to paying customers. Yeah, any way you can reach out there and get communication back is mm-hmm. a good thing. Right. Phone number, address, Facebook, anything. Mm-hmm. That's right. And when dealing with social media, and this goes back to what Lauren was saying earlier about having different methods of contact, social media is very important because it does offer you several free methods of contact for your customer base. Because on social media, customers can contact you by replying to your posts, or they can DM you, they can direct message you through these platforms. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, they all offer methods of direct messaging if you don't want to deal with email. What's also important is to have cheap phone numbers, like for example, free phone numbers or phone numbers you can call off your minutes on your phone. Mm Mm-hmm. For example, rather than pay extra for the call. Right. You can also set up Google Voice as well and use that as an alternative number for your business. That's a good way to get a free number. Yep. Mm -hmm. Or a WhatsApp number. You could also use WhatsApp. Yeah, because you only have to use your data to um, contact via that. Mm Mm-hmm. If you don't want to use your phone data, you can get the WhatsApp desktop app and use it on your computer. Oh, I didn't know that you could get it on your computer. Mm -hmm. It's available for Windows and Mac. You can also use Skype. Skype is still available, and many companies still use it for outbound calls. The next thing I wanted to talk about now is one thing that's very important for you to showcase on your website, especially on the homepage, and we've been talking about this throughout the show, is establishing trust. We've been talking about reviews. You guys have done more than I expected. Y'all exceeded expectations when stressing the importance of reviews. They're very important, and you do want to showcase these on your homepage. 
However, there's other ways that you can also establish trust too. And Anthony, I know you had one that you want to share with us, which is about awards. Yeah, if they have any type of uh, awards that they have won through the years, say best sales or best experience or any other type of award, actually maybe usually they'll give you little symbols to put on the website. I can see stuff like, like that. That's pretty reassuring. And even furthermore, on some sites, I was thinking about, uh, if they link to say, like, uh, I'm looking at a product and say they somebody has done a demonstration on it or they've done one themselves and they link it to a YouTube so you can mm-hmm. actually see what you're getting. That's a little bit more trustworthy and I right. like to see that. Right, right. It's important to put product demonstrations on your website wherever you can because it'll destroy several questions that your customer base may have. When they see the video and it answers their questions before they even ask them, you're doing a great job. Product demonstrations are great. What's also just as great as having product demonstrations is having testimonials. These would be like video testimonials where they talk about how great your product is and how it changed their lives, how it destroyed their problems and made their lives better. Video testimonials, you can never go wrong with them. Yeah, it's so important to have product description because when I'm looking for products on Amazon, If it doesn't have enough description, I don't even bother buying it. So it's important to have clear, full um, instructions, etc. on your product, product description. Mm -hmm. You want to be as transparent as possible with what the product has, but you also need the social proof to show that your product really is making a difference in people's lives and that it is a product worth buying. I'd also probably go along. I'd also probably go along the lines of saying what obviously the product isn't suited for as well. So I'll say if you're, I don't know, buying a one of those universal TV remote things like on along you do like your TV, your stereo and maybe your uh, cable box. Mm-hmm. Or, or it, it won't necessarily work other things like your light switches from across the room or like and if you can highlight what it will will do and what it won't do, like a pros and cons list. Right. I find that more trustworthy as well. Yeah, and also how much life your um what's it called your product has. Say like it's something that's going to expire, like a light bulb, for example, like a colour light bulb or something that's back So like technical related. specifications and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, more yeah. information about your product, how long the warranty is, what the warranty covers, all that other nice fun stuff. Right. Yeah. Now, technical specifications are important to list, but technical specs are not going to answer the question over how the product is going to change your life or how how great it is. It just outlines features. And again, you don't want to focus only on product features. It's still important to have that in there, and it shows that you know your product in and out. But the most important thing that you could do when describing your product is explain how your features can destroy your customer's pain points. Mm, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's like, for example, I've got color light bulbs. I've got, um, which are voice activated. I've got voice activated plugs, but I don't use them yet. But that's life changing for someone with chronic illness like myself, where I don't have to get up to do something. So it's an example of, life-changing, you know, how life-changing your products can be mm-hmm. to help people in all aspects of life, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. If I own the company that manufactured that light bulb, 
I would have asked you to come do a testimonial explaining it to me exactly how you just said it. Yeah. Uh, additional thing I would like to, I like to see in terms of uh, when shopping for a product is if the website puts on there somewhere like a this is a bestseller or we've sold X amount of these and so forth. And right. All that fancy uh, award-winning stuff. Huh? Yeah. Like we're number one in the world or number one in blah, blah, blah. Check yeah. out our product. Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. Right. And you should also indicate if your product is sold out. Once you've indicated your product is sold out, give them the option to back order one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not all companies do notify you when that things are out of stock. They'll say it's in stock, so I've had this problem before. And you buy something and it's actually not. And then, even after they say it's not in stock, they still have it in stock. That makes sense. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Sounds like they're just not doing a good job at keeping tabs on inventory. Yeah. Now to have an email and as soon as it's back in stock mm-hmm. option. Yeah. Or if they can't do that, at least um, offer like, the next best alternative yeah. to mm-hmm. do that particular thing that you're looking for. You can offer a substitute product that's of the same yeah. value. Yeah. And it's also important to keep check on any technical issues. They say that's technical issues with site. You need to be on it as soon as possible so it doesn't affect your business for so long. Yes, yes. What companies should do, and many of them do this, for example, if there's a product recall, they'll put out a notice on social media, they'll put it on their website, and they'll let everybody know that this product is dangerous. If, if you bought it, return it now and get a refund. That's called being customer-centric. A greedy company, on the other hand, would say, no, we're not going to let them know. We're just going to let them find out on their own so we can keep all the money. And, of course, that's just opening doors for lawsuits later. That would be an example of an egotistical, greedy company. If you really care about your customer base, you will let them know whenever there's a flaw, whenever there's a recall, when there's any defect about the product that they should know about that will either impact the way they use it and slash or put their lives in danger. Such such as car companies, if their uh, cars are now putting out too many emissions on the tests, or but it doesn't state that when you actually get the car, or there's a failure, or a mm-hmm. whole backload of braking systems for, for that particular model of car. Right. You know, now. Yeah. Other methods of establishing trust would include putting photos of the daily life at your company. You can show your employees working on this or shaking hands with a customer Something that really shows that you're legitimate, that shows that you care about the overall customer experience. When people see pictures of active employees, it only helps your company look more legitimate. And but it's also important, um, one thing, is to have a link to your um, social media so people can check your social media out as well and see how legit you are and how, what your personality is like. Mm-hmm. Right. We we discussed that earlier. Have social media yeah. buttons up front so people can check it out. Social media is where I everybody posts their company lifestyle photos. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. just to do with contact, but yeah. Social media is going to be a whole other show, too. I have a big show planned on social media marketing because I see too many people doing the wrong things on it every day. And just like with your website, social media should be used for educating your audience. Social media should mainly be used for educating your audience. There's a 80-20 rule, they call it. 80% of your content on social media should be educational and engaging, and 20% of it should be promotional. And too many people throw that around. Too many people 
do the exact opposite of that. And we're going to show on that really soon. That's going to be a big one. Social media engagement in general is another thing that you'll want to showcase on your homepage because when they see that your company has this amount of followers, it shows them you're actually legitimately marketing yourself there. They're finding you on social media. They're following you. They like your content. It'll only help you to showcase how many followers you have on your website because you can put share buttons, you can put follow buttons, and usually next to those buttons, it'll have a small balloon tool tip showing the number of followers you have or the number of shares. And also it shows, like, if your profile is genuine because some scammers, like, they'll set up a profile and the thing that stands out the most is that they've uploaded 20 photos in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> true. And before the 24 hours. <laughs> true. On a legitimate social media profile for a business, you would build it up accordingly. Nobody's going to have a bunch of followers at first. As time goes on and your company goes through more events and you gain testimonials and reviews, you're going to see your posts go up in numbers. In fact, you're supposed to be posting regularly. But some content is more important than others in the eyes of the consumer. We're going to move into our final topic, but before I move on, do any of you guys have any final remarks to say about establishing trust? If you can't trust a company, you're never going to go to them, are you? No. Nope. So you got to look for where it is that you feel that you trust them with. Right. So if you've got, if you've got 10 things on a list that you know you're going to go to somebody with, or, and only four of them are on there, you're only 50%. 50% chance getting to trust them. Pretty much. Unless I can 100% trust them, they're not getting my business. 90% yeah. isn't good exactly. enough for me. I need to see true yeah. legitimacy from the business. I don't grade on a curve. <laughs> no. When After customers have gotten all the information that they need from your website, after they reviewed your homepage and they've decided that they want to go ahead and contact you, you need to be upfront about what they can expect next. You need to be clear about what's going to happen next for them. You have to assume that every customer you get has no idea of what to do when they come to your website. So you got to make it easy for them. And you want to make sure that every single question that they possibly have can be answered and that they have a clear pathway towards contacting you and that they have a clear pathway of understanding what they're getting themselves into when they do business with you. One thing that companies should never do, they shouldn't compare themselves to their competitors directly or think about what their customers want to see. You know why? Because your competitor and yourself have different marketing strategies. And you don't want to copy your competitor either because you want to take what you know works and make it better. If you know what they're doing works for them, you might want to look at their strategy and instead improve upon it. Decide what you, your company can do to make them want to come to you versus your competitor. And it's important to think about your solution to your customer's problem and provide something that can be used as a lead magnet, as I said earlier. This relays what I said earlier. Do you want your customer to request a free consultation, call for an estimate, or encourage them to fill out the contact form if they have questions? You want to make sure that your customer knows what they're doing and they know what to expect when you follow up with them. What are you going to do to follow up with your customer after you've captured their information via these lead magnets that I've discussed? And what are you doing to separate yourself from your competitors? You can't just copy your competitor's marketing strategy and hope that it works for them. 
Instead, look at what does work in general. Look at a few of your competitors, take note of what you think is working for them, and then think about how you can make that better. You want to make sure that your customers are aware of what they're going to get by the time they're done interacting with your website and you have a nice list of leads. Right. And you're just talking about follow-up. Uh, what I, I kind of like um, is um, reassurance. So like if I click on one of those buttons that we talked about earlier, and I may be backtracking a little bit, um, and it sends an email, you know, a quick automated reply email back saying, thank you for your email. We'll contact you within 24 hours, for example, uh, or after a purchase, uh, you know, um, Say if you buy a car or something, after purchase, a lot of times uh, they'll call and just make sure everything's okay and you're happy with everything. Just a little courtesy call where you're talking to somebody verbally. Right. Yeah, that's one. Right. That's all very good customer service tips. Customers need to be able to make sure that they can do different things within your website that don't require a follow-up phone call or anything like that. And that's going to be a topic for the second half of the show when we take that next week. We're going to talk about how your website can utilize convenience for customers. But yeah, following up is important. You want to make sure that you have a receipt email that says, thank you, somebody will contact you in such and such time frame, like you mentioned. And when companies do that, that shows that they care and that they care about following up with you to make sure that your questions are answered. You want to make sure that your thank you email has things that reassures your customer that they're going to be followed up with and give them some other options if they don't want to wait, such as putting a post on a forum if you offer a forum or asking them to go on social media to follow them there if they want to send them a message that way. That's another opportunity to give customers more options for contact if they feel they don't want to wait and they want to do a different mm -hmm. method. And it's a great way to show that you care about your customers. That thank you email is basically a place where you can give them more body copy talking about how much you care about the customers. Reassure them that you're going to follow up with them, but then after that, that's also your opportunity to write them something else that you feel that they should know about. Put something important, something that you can stress to them. Maybe you can talk about another pain point, or you could just put something reassuring there. Yeah, it's always important mm -hmm. to reply to all your requests as well. If you can, like, even if it takes, like, 48 hours, always try to reply to everyone. Mm-hmm, that's right. When you don't reply, you're just leaving money on the table. So it should be every business's goal to respond to every message they get. I make it a goal to make sure that I respond to every single message that comes in my email box every day. If I get any missed calls on the office line outside of business hours when we're closed, I make sure to call them up as soon as we open. And, that, and, and, with, and with the business that you're in, establishing uh, that initial contact in the beginning with, like you said, a simple auto-reply saying I'll be get back in contact with you can can make a break or sell, but it's really important for what you do because when you uh, get a client and you build a website for someone or uh, that's gonna, that's something that you have to stay pretty much uh, at times in constant contact with your customer because they're going to be calling you if they have a problem. Right. That That's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. That's more than correct. We always make sure that we serve every single client that we get. That's with new clients and existing ones. They're all important to us. Every single one of them. Yep. Y'all gave a lot of glorious information, and I'm, I'm beyond impressed by what y'all had to share. This is going to be a really, really good show. You guys have given some phenomenal tips today. As consumers, y'all stress the importance of reviews, of follow-ups, of proper customer service. And these tips don't just apply with the website. 
It applies in business in general, especially when it comes to in-person encounters. And I'm beyond impressed, and I want to say thank you for sharing all of your insights with us today. This was a very educational, useful, and informative show. And I would like to advise all of our listeners to stay tuned. Our next episode this month is a continuation of this episode. We are going to discuss even more tips to help your website stay customer-centric. Once again, thank you guys for joining me on the show, and I hope you all have a great day. Thanks, Christian. Thanks, Mike.